Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. With the Bible, we have a book that is given by inspiration of God, and that inspiration didn't just refer to the spiritual elements of the Scripture. That inspiration was applied in every sense, and so the Bible is inspired in its record of history. It's a perfect record of history. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 14 in a message titled, Abraham, Melchizedek, and Christ. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Let's open up to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elasar, Kedor Laomir, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemember, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these joined together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Kedor Laomir, and in the thirteenth year, they rebelled. As we come to this 14th chapter of Genesis, we come to the first recorded war in history. It was a real war, not a minor skirmish between local chieftains. It was a war involving a major invasion of one area of the world by soldiers from another, resulting in a terrible destruction of the defeated areas by the victors. As has so often been the case, the Bible critics were certain that no such war ever occurred and had declared the whole account to be just another example of Hebrew mythology. But once again, the critics were proven to be on the wrong side of reality. Nelson Gleck, the famous archeologist who excavated the area, this is what he said. He said, between the 21st and the 19th centuries BC, a civilization of high achievement flourished until it was savagely liquidated by the kings of the East. I found that every village in their path had been plundered and left in ruins and the countryside laid waste. The population had been wiped out or led into captivity. For hundreds of years thereafter, the entire area was like an abandoned cemetery, hideously unkept, with all its monuments shattered and strewn in pieces on the ground. 
Now, we live, as you know, in an age of heightened skepticism regarding the Bible. So I want to take every opportunity I can, and I have been seeking to do so as we've gone through Genesis, to take every opportunity I can to demonstrate to you the absolute accuracy and trustworthiness of the Bible in all that it says. This is history. And as a matter of fact, the Bible is the only purely accurate account we have of ancient history. We have lots of accounts of ancient history, but nobody is certain as to the total accuracy of those accounts. That, you know, I'm not saying that the, the accounts aren't fairly accurate. They are. But, but with the Bible, we have a book that is given by inspiration of God, and that inspiration didn't just refer to the spiritual elements of the scripture or, or teaching on doctrinal kinds of matters. Uh, that inspiration was applied in every sense, and so the Bible is inspired in its record of history. It's a perfect record of history. It's an accurate record of history. And so we can have confidence that as we read through these stories, we're not reading uh, mythology. We're not reading what was fabricated by a people who were trying to promote themselves as a nation. We're reading about real events. And as we saw, the facts are on our side. Archaeology attests to this particular conflict. And so, picking up in verse 5, in the 14th year, Kedor Laomir and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephaim in Ashtaroth, the Carnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, and the Imam in Shava, Kiriathaim, and the Horites in their mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to In Mishpat, which is Kadesh, and attacked all the country, the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hazazon, Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim, against Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elasar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So here we are just being given an overview of the conflict. Obviously not a whole lot of detail, but we are told specifically about one individual that we are familiar with. We're told specifically about Lot. 
that he was taken as part of the spoils and he was led away into captivity. Now, remember, Abram was dwelling in Hebron at the time. And so this conflict ended a considerable distance from where Abram dwelt. And these four kings defeated the five kings and they were happy with their victory and they were now heading back toward the east. But word now comes to Abram that Lot has been taken. And then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. So when Abram receives word that Lot has been taken captive, they gather together. He, his armed servants, and these other men that he dwelt near, Mamre, Eshkel, and Aner. And they went in pursuit of this group of kings. Now, this is pretty astounding because this particular force had just decimated all of the nations or city-states that they had encountered, and yet Abram is taking a relatively small group in comparison, and he's going out to attack them. We get an idea here also, and and we've seen it in some other passages, uh, talking about the wealth of Abram, you know, he wasn't just an individual traveling, traveling along with his wife and a, and a few other people, but there was a, a huge, would have been a huge entourage with Abram. We read here that he had 318 trained servants who had been trained for warfare. So he was a, an extremely powerful man. And so he takes, along with these others, this group of trained servants, and they go in pursuit of them as far as Dan, uh, which is up in the northern area. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. So Abram is victorious. Now, as we continue, verse 17, and the king of Sodom went out to meet Abram at the valley of Shaba, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Kedor Laomer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, 
Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Aner, Eshkel, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Now, as we look at this story of this battle and the things that ensued following the battle, you see something in Abram's character as we look at the way he deals with this whole situation. The first thing that we see is that Abram was obviously a very loving, a very loyal, and and a very forgiving person. Because you remember, Lot was, you know, he wasn't the best neighbor. He wasn't really, you know, he wasn't really concerned about Abram. He was, you know, seemingly a, a, a fairly selfish kind of a person. And you remember there was the, the quarrel that had taken place and the separation that occurred. And of course, Lot made a decision to move away from Abram, God's man, and to move toward Sodom, a city that was known for its wickedness. And, and yet we see with Abram that, you know, he's not vindictive, he's not you know, holding this against Lot, you know, he might have easily said, well, you know, this is what Lot deserved. He wanted to play around with the world and he's played around with it. And now he's, you know, getting his just dessert. So too bad for him. But he didn't say that at all. The moment he heard that Lot had been taken captive, we see that there was that that love and that loyalty that caused him to go out in pursuit of these kings. The second thing we see as we look at this is that Abram was obviously a very courageous man. You know, sometimes we read through these stories and we, you know, get little bits and pieces of information about their lives. And of course, we're reading through relatively quickly, long, long periods of time. But here's where we get some insight into the courage of this man. You know, having known the destructive nature of this military outfit, having been aware of the destruction that was in the path of this great army and the destruction that they had brought recently to this particular area, this doesn't seem to discourage him at all. He's courageous and he you know, steps up to the challenge. We also see that Abram was a gracious man. He was a gracious man in when he was dealing here with the king of Sodom. He was considerate of the others that had gone out with him. He doesn't want to have any association with the king of Sodom, but he's not, you know, putting that sort of pressure on the the other men that are with him. He says, you know, they can take whatever they want. 
they, they've, they've earned it. They can keep it. They can, they can do whatever they want with it. And, and you see a graciousness there, but you also see with Abram that he was an uncompromising man. Now, the king of Sodom was, as we would imagine, he was a wicked man. Sodom was a wicked city. And now, as, as Abram's coming back from this battle and he's coming back in victory, uh, he's being met by the people in this region. This is sort of a, it's sort of a celebration, really. He's coming back to a hero's welcome, in a sense. And the king of Sodom is there to greet him. And, you know, in a sense, he's making a gesture that, you know, they might uh, build an alliance. Perhaps, you know, this army is going to come back in the future. So he's sort of extending his hand out to Abram, but Abram doesn't compromise at all. And I love what he says to the king of Sodom, who says, now give me the persons. Remember, it was many of his people were taken captive and the spoils uh, from Sodom were taken with these kings. So much of his wealth and the riches of his city, these, these would have all been taken. And so the king is recognizing, you know, he doesn't really have any right to those things, but, you know, he says, give me the persons and you take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand. And he's talking about raising his hand in loyalty to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, and I will take nothing. I love that conviction. I will take nothing from you, not from a thread to a sandal strap. I don't want any association. I don't want you to in any way be able to say that you had anything to do with my success, my victory, my wealth, or any of those things. He did not want any association with an openly wicked individual. And that's where you see his commitment to God and that that uncompromising attitude that he had. And I just like reading what he said. I just think that that is a great response to this wicked king of Sodom. But there's another king that has come out to greet him as well. And in verse 18, we read about this man, Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who is this mysterious person? Lots of questions arise in our minds when we hear the name Melchizedek. Who is this mysterious person? How is it that he is a priest? Where did he get his authority from? Or, you know, what connections did he have back to the true God? What is he doing in the land of Canaan, this wicked land? Was his priesthood a recognized priesthood? Did Abram have any previous knowledge of him? These are all of the questions that we might ask as we consider this man, Melchizedek. Uh, The answer to every one of these questions is we don't know. We don't know. But here's this man who is the priest 
of God Most High. He is the King of Salem, and he brought out bread and wine, and he blessed Abram. Now, Melchizedek appears only here in the Bible. He appears only here and then is mentioned at intervals of about a thousand years, two other times. So a very mysterious person, to say the least. About a thousand years later, David, in writing the Psalms, in the 110th Psalm, the Messianic Psalm, he says that the, the Lord, the Messiah, was made a priest forever, would be made a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That is the only other time that he is mentioned until we come to the New Testament period. And then in the book of Hebrews, from chapters five to seven, Melchizedek is mentioned several times. But he appears this one time here recorded in the 14th chapter of Genesis. Then he's mentioned in the 110th Psalm and then in the 5th and through the 7th chapters of the book of Hebrews. Now, as we look at the account here more closely, notice Melchizedek is the king of Salem. Salem, most scholars are agreed that Salem is the ancient name for Jerusalem. So he is the king of Jerusalem. He is the king of Jerusalem, and notice he brings forth bread and wine. Now, that immediately for us, living under the new covenant, that that strikes a chord, doesn't it? He brings forth bread and wine. Now, it's interesting to me how many commentators don't see anything Uh, spiritually significant in that, they see it as, well, he was just bringing out some food to refresh Abram and his troops after the long journey and the hard battle. But to me, it seems significant that bread and wine are mentioned here, that these are the things that Melchizedek brings forth. And then as we look, we notice that Abram is, he's blessed by Melchizedek. And again, what's happening here in this sort of welcome home kind of a ceremony, Abram is being publicly acknowledged as a man blessed by God Most High. So it seems that God has arranged this whole occasion. Now, again, whether Abram had any previous knowledge of Melchizedek or not, we don't know. It doesn't seem that he did. He might have, we don't know. But Melchizedek is moved by the Lord, evidently, to go and to publicly bless this man. Now remember, Abram is, he's new to the land. He's a stranger. He's not a Canaanite. He's not one of the local inhabitants. He's come in from the outside. For the month of October, 
Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Progress, Kindness, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. Western culture is characterized by particular values, whether it's the value of equality, when it comes to social injustice, race, or gender, or whether it's the value of freedom regarding local laws or presidential elections. Many of our most cherished values find their historical roots in the Jesus Revolution, also known as Christianity. In his book, The Air We Breathe, Glenn Scrivener traces the history of seven different values that are commonly held in Western culture that their origins have gone unnoticed, but find their beginnings in Christianity itself. He will take you through history, from the beginnings in Genesis up to George Floyd to present his case. This book will open your eyes how Christianity shaped our values of both Christians and non-Christians alike. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.